Forty-three of the Survival Podcast. Hopefully, I won't get confused. I'm actually ahead this week. I'm already working on the show notes for Thursday, which is insane for me. I also have two guests this week, so it won't be a just Jack show today. Uh, I will be bringing Romero Romani on in just a bit from Take Back Our Tech and Above Phone. We're going to be talking about cell phone privacy, and we really should say mobile device uh, privacy and security today because phones like the least used part of this. We live our lives out of our mobile devices now. Most people, you know, even like their social media and all, they do way more on their mobile device than they do on their desktop or laptop computers. Not me, because I'm a Gen Xer on the edge of being a boomer, so I spend most of my time behind big screens. Most people, though, almost everything they do is on that little screen, and that little screen goes everywhere that they go. If the NSA is tracking my phone, they think I never move from my living room. That's where it spends most of its time. Um, but for many people, like they know everywhere you go, when you went there, how long you were there. And then they are using that data to build dossiers on you, but they're also selling your data. It's despicable. And they're censoring content and they're censoring technology by kicking people out of their app store. We're going to be talking about all of that and more. And is there a solution? Yes, there is. But I'm not the guy to tell you about it. My guest is. So we'll hold on that for just a moment, and uh, we'll bring him on in just a minute. With that, I want to uh, go ahead and cover our two sponsors of the day for you today. I just thought this was a great sponsor to include today because it fits with what we're talking about. Start 9 Embassy Servers, taking back your digital sovereignty at another level, running your own private encrypted end-to-end chat that's not just encrypted, but no one even gets into it unless they know it exists and you invite them in and you only approve the people you want. And you can do that for your whole family or your whole community uh, with one of the larger servers especially. Host your own stuff. I guarantee you our guest is going to agree with this statement. There's no such thing as the cloud. It's just somebody else's computer. Host your images, your passwords, all your important data in a way that makes them accessible from anywhere in the world with privacy and security. Check out Start9 today. It really does help you take back your digital sovereignty. Next up today, the Wealthsteading Podcast with John Pugliano. I just got to spend like four days in a row with John. It was great. I always love talking to him. John is one of us. He is a prepper. He's a ham radio operator. Now, on today's subject, I wouldn't take his advice because he's a full-fledged boomer when it comes to tech. But when it comes to investing, the man knows his stuff, and he will share it with you freely at wealthsteading.com, where you can learn to grow your wealth the way you would grow your garden. And with that, I want to go ahead and bring on our special guest, Romero. How are you doing today, bro? I'm doing so great, man. It's another blessed Tuesday and just living the dream. Yeah, and I'm glad to have you on. And I, I kind of feel like uh, you got hosed a little bit by a, a hole in our filtering process. I met you down in Bastrop. You filled out some paperwork. I was on the road. It got fell through the hole. And then we had to kick you out a week last week because we booked you the week of our anniversary because I'm brain dead when that's going on. And now you're here, but I feel like you're here at the the best time it could have been with some of the recent things that have happened with censorship of things like Domus. 
uh, on the App Store. So I guess maybe it all worked out in the end. But I'm glad to have you here today, man. Because I would rather it be an anniversary than an automated algorithm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's why I forgot because there's not an algorithm in my brain. You know, it's it's just uh, free free streaming. Um, but anyway, before we dig into this topic, tell tell folks a little bit about yourself uh, and how you got into this world of uh, looking into digital privacy and things like that. Sure. Yeah. So again, my name is Ramiro, and in a past life, I was a software engineer. I worked for really large companies and tiny ones too, and I would build mobile apps and web apps. And software engineers, they have this uh, they have this belief that the trajectory of their career at the very top, they're going to work for a big tech company or something. Like that's literally their goal. And I used to be like that. And it's honestly wild to see um, how how much control these big tech companies have over it, um, have over the world, and what direction they're taking us in. So. I started my transformation uh, a long time ago, but it was really during COVID when I saw everything falling apart. I was living in New York City, working my job, and um, at that time I saw the whole supply chain crash. Luckily, I was already working with the Freedom Cell Network, along with uh, Derek Rose and John Bush, and I run the technical infrastructure for the Freedom Cell Network. For anyone who doesn't know about that, check out freedomcells.org. It's a way to meet like-minded people wherever you're at in the world. You just type in your city, and you can find local groups, and you can also message members around you. And also, throughout this process, I began to understand the power of technology. We, uh, we ran Freedom Cells. We saw that grow from 2,000 people at the start of COVID in 2020. It grew to over 30,000 people. I'm sure some of you have heard that before. Then we also started a conference called The Greater Reset. And I would hear stories of my, you know, my life has changed thanks to The Greater Reset. I've found people nearby, and like we're moving out on land now. And um, so I realized, like, wow, like technology really has the capability to bring people together or it has the capability to push people apart, depending on who's wielding it. And so through running these networks, I got to face the other side of censorship. We got delisted off of Google's search engine. We had um, spammers and hackers try and attack the uh, site constantly. I remember I had to save the site from like several DDoS attempts the day before the conference. And that was oh, wow. one of the most stressful experiences of my life. I was up to like 4 a.m. just sweating, trying to get it done. And, um, you know, they haven't taken us down yet. So I think that I think that stands for something. And more importantly, it helped me realize how important privacy, security and the sovereignty of our communication systems are. So I began to learn more and study about the subject. I began to research the big players when it comes to our mobile and our laptop, the privacy on our computers. And I began coming up with solutions because that's the most important thing. We can't just sit here and uh, complain about the problems and get scared at you know the things that we're up against. We gotta do things about it. And I tell you what, these people are not as smart, they're not as sophisticated or, um, or as hardworking as we can be. So, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of hope of that, and I think that mass consciousness is in changing uh, in our direction. Yeah, I would agree. Let's start off with why people should care about phone privacy. I think most people wander around with this device, and they know that something's not right. They know that their data is being collected. I think a lot of people are under this illusion, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, they don't understand really what's being done, and I think it's twofold. I think it's also about having someone else control what you can see and how you can see it. But let's just start off more from a privacy 
uh, standpoint. Watching people care about that. I actually have some visual aids too. If uh, you see my slides at the bottom of the screen, if you want to bring those on. That one? Yes. Okay. That's the one. So uh, before I go into, I always have to do this disclaimer, not giving financial, medical, or legal advice. Always do your own research. I do my best on this research, but things change all the time. Um, and there's no silver bullet. Just keep in mind, a Jack and I aren't going to talk about something today that's going to take you off grid. Um, there's, this is all interconnected, right? And phones are just one aspect. And just for the uh, audience uh, from your end, just remember that there will probably be more people that will listen to this uh, than will watch it. So uh, <laughs> try, to, try to give some explanation of, of what the slide is if it's really important. Okay, you got it. So first we're going to talk about the scale of the ecosystem. And I, I think it's just important to see how pervasive this technology is, right? So um, in my research, I found out there was 7 billion phones. Now, that's almost one per person. Not all of these phones are actively being used. Some of them are just, we're, we're sitting, we have phones in our closet. There is around one per person. And 99% of those phones have software developed by two companies, right? I'm talking about Google and I'm talking about Apple. And these, uh, as we'll see later on in the slide deck, that they have an immense amount of pull. They have a data pipeline coming from each phone. And these phones also have more sensors than any other device in, in history. So there's this real-time data stream. I'll mention this later, but our phones connect back to their parent servers, or at least traditional phones do, every five minutes. Okay, so just think about that. Every five minutes, your phone is connecting back, and that's creating, um, that's creating a map of you moving across the world. It is when you connect to uh, the radio towers. And lastly, there's not just uh, their phones, but there's this data economy of telecom providers who, uh, you know, they're more than happy to work with the government, and they have to. They're required by law. Uh, people who do analytics and advertising within the phones, aggregators who take different pieces of data, they buy it, and they make it easy to search through, data brokers who are actually responsible to selling it to law enforcement, um, foreign organizations and anyone who would want to purchase it and purchasers, of course. So let's talk about the privacy aspect, right? There was an independent study done in uh, Dublin, Ireland um, the, at the Trinity College where they looked at uh, traditional handsets, right? I'm talking about an Apple iPhone and a Google phone. And they found, they're looking at the operating system. Basically what they did was they pretended that they were Google or Apple servers, and they uh, pinned a certificate that would allow them to see what data was actually being transmitted. And so one, I found that they're connecting constantly um, and they're logging large quantities of data. Uh, so on the Apple side, it was 52 kilobytes. On Google side, it was one megabyte every 12 hours. And every one of these requests contained unique IDs. And that's the really key point to focus on when, when this happens. You know, this, um, these unique IDs are how they associate you, not just in your phone, but through your computer, because these are going to identify you, um, identify you at a specific level. So, for instance, there's the IMEI, which uh, I'm sure you guys have heard about before. If you ever lose your phone, you can report the IMEI is stolen, and that makes it so they can't connect to the phone network. They can't even use that phone in the same way, right? So that's a level of granularity. There's also... Um, there's also these in-app analytics and advertisers 
that are within most of the popular apps you get from the App Store um, or the Google Play Store. And it's actually crazy how many uh, how many third parties there are on an app on average. So there's around 11 different domains on the Google side. There's around two and a half on the Apple side. That basically means they're connecting to a website that's not associated with the app you're connecting to, right? So they're unknown parties. And then there's permissions like location, uh, which are stored and searchable, which we can talk about. You know, we'll, we'll talk about like basically how I have structured this presentation. We're talking about like the high level overview stuff too. And then there's always going to be this question is, why should I really care? And we'll get into some real world stories. Can, can you talk then maybe about how our phones actually spy on us? Absolutely. So let's see what I can do here. Yeah, so let's talk about let's talk about how our phones actually spy on us. So there are levels to it, right? Mostly it's through centralized services. Okay, so this is this is a good good way to put it. So there's one account and service for your entire phone, right? Like for instance, on the Google ecosystem, you've got Google Play services, you've got Google location services, um, you've got security services. And you've also got the, the, the Play Store services. So they know exactly when you're downloading apps. They, uh, if you're using the location services, if those are on, which on a normal phone, there's no way to turn them off. You have to dig through the settings to, um, to minimize the location that gets sent to it. But that doesn't actually change anything. Google can still capture that data if they want. So because of that, because of these centralized services, they're constantly having a stream of data. Now, I'll give you a few examples. So on the Google side, um, when you turn on location, your location gets, uh, your location does not get sent off to Google. But when you're using the location service, just in general, when uh, you're using Airbnb or Uber, that's, uh, you're getting like a regular, regular cadence. So it's like every five minutes you're using it, your location will be sent off. On the Apple side, whenever you turn on location, it's sending your location off to Apple, but not only that, it's sending on the devices on your home network. So like your phone is smart enough, if it's on Wi-Fi, it's sending the local MAC address of your computer, all the devices there. My theory is, you know, Google Maps already, um, Google already does this by driving around in cars and they're collecting all the Wi-Fi access points. So they have a way to track this. So this is the way that Apple needs to do it. Um, and there's also a bunch of other things. There's like if you plug in the SIM card, your phone number is being sent off. All the unique identifiers to, to identify your SIM card. All the hardware IDs. Um, Apple goes farther and is tracking every interaction you do in their app store. But the most important point is like these are all observations we have to make because we can't actually see what the code does. We have to rely on information security researchers and do our own independent studies. Um, so it mainly happens through this centralized service. And we know that um, just these two companies, they don't just own the tracking on the phone level. They also own it on the app level. So there was another study done uh, by a um, collection of universities and researchers, actually, that looked at the top 15,000 apps on the Google Play Store. And they looked at these uh, analytics and advertising services within them. So um, on average, there are five different libraries, like software, you know, they're, they're essentially modules of software that developers can put in their apps. 
I remember when I published my first app, I immediately started getting like notified, hey, include these ads in your app. And, um, you know, you're going to make money forever for, you know, for each view. So, of course, as a developer, that's like, that's, that's the attractive. You're like, okay, I want to, you know, I have to make money from this. But um, people don't realize what's happening. It's, um, so there's going to be multiple organizations like this. And this study was smart enough to look at the top 20 biggest analytics and advertisers. And they found that 16 of those were actually owned by Alphabet, which is Google's parent company, right? Yeah. So they don't just own the operating system. They also own the apps. Let's, yeah, it's disturbing. And uh, can we kind of cross then, like, so Google and Apple, within good reason, get most of the uh, beating about the head and shoulders from privacy advocates. But the reality is they're not the only people involved here. There are the other independent app makers, but the one that I think people just forget about is T-Mobile, AT&T, Sprint, et cetera, like the, the wireless carriers themselves, they're involved with this too, right? Absolutely, and I'm glad you mentioned that. That was a big part of my research for um, this article, Who Can We Call On? And these telecom providers, ever since 1994, there's this law called the Communications Assistance with Law Enforcement Act, and these telecom providers, they legally have to be able to provide your phone calls and your text messages, anything that is cellular communications, they have to hand it over. Um, some of them go above and beyond, though. Man, I wish I had, uh, I wish, actually wish I had this slide to show you what it looks like. But, you know, um, for ever since then, there have been pathways for, so if you look at your call detail records and how long those get held or how long those get retained, there yeah. hasn't been any new information on that since 2012. Basically, telecom providers are not telling you anything. Um, and so there's like, they're, they'll give you timeframes. The last department, I think, was a Department of Justice guidance document telling, you know, law enforcement, hey, this is what T-Mobile, this is how long T-Mobile will hold on to things. So you would see things from like from two to seven years or yeah. in AT&T's case, indefinitely, right? And they um, just, the the telecom network itself, like when you, they're submitting these warrants, they're getting your call detail records, but they're also getting the nearest tower. Like they're getting the nearest tower you're making the phone call from. Um, they're getting dates and times. If you're using the internet connection and you're not using the VPN, uh, they're getting, yeah, they're getting what websites you're visiting too. So later on, I'm going to talk about some ways you can protect yourself from this. And I think people need to realize, like people say, well, I, I don't have anything to hide. Well, you probably do. And even if you don't, the problem is that you don't know what they're looking for. And all of a sudden they can say that your phone was in this place at this time. And you look at this website and that can correlate to something somebody actually did, didn't have a phone. And it's the same reason a lawyer tells you you don't talk to cops, right? You don't, you know, and if you're traffic stop, you give them the minimum. Here's my ID. Here's my proof of insurance. That is where are you coming from? Man, I'm just heading home. Well, where are you coming from? Well, where are you coming from, officer? Like, you don't tell them because you don't know what they know and you don't know what they're incorrect about. And so even the person that feels like, hey, I don't have anything to hide, you can end up implicated or you can just end up, hey, it looks like you go to the liquor store once a week. Maybe we need to raise your insurance rates because I, I think you're probably with me on this. I don't trust the providers. I don't trust the apps. 
and I don't trust the network providers and I don't trust them not to make my information available to other people, even though there's laws specifically with telecom providers that they're, they're not supposed to do that, but it doesn't mean they don't. There, there is supposed to be something called due process. (laughs) Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that actually. So it is, yeah, like people, I get this all the time. I've got nothing to hide. Why should I care? Well, here's an example that we'll, we'll go into. And then, um, there's the aspect of these warrants that they're supposed to serve on telecom. They're uh, typically goes to due process, but they're also secret programs like the DEA's hemisphere. So I'd love to, I'd love to fill, I'm going to tell you more about that, but um, it's nuts, right? Cause there's this, there's this layer that they, that's kind of out in the open and they have to follow due process and do the investigation. But there's also these secret layers that you would not know about and they try and hide. So anyways, one of these things that are, are is more of like a it's like an open secret is um, Google Sensor Vault. Now, if you guys haven't heard of Google Sensor Vault, um, don't worry about it. But you're probably on it because uh, if you've ever used Google Maps, all of that data is being fed to Sensor Vault. Sensor Vault is a historical geolocation database. Any person or any device that's on Google Maps that includes iPhones, that includes iPads, or if you're using an Android phone that has your typical Google services, you're included in Sensor Vault. So that you know that happens regularly. And basically, law enforcement, when they get into a situation where they don't have good leads, can pick a date and a time. They can even draw a location around it, as you can see up here in the right. They can draw a circle around the location and get all the phones that showed up in that time. So okay, but what happens when your phone um, comes up and you weren't actually there? So this is exactly what happened. In 2018, um, in Arizona, a gentleman named Jorge was uh, arrested for a murder charge, and uh, police didn't have very many leads. Uh, they All they had was a car, and um, so they a fuzzy picture of a car, so they sent out a sensor vault warrant, and it pointed to Jorge's phone. And so he was falsely accused. They took him, They, they uh, he had the same type of car, so they took him to jail. They interviewed him. Um, Jorge had said, hey, my stepfather takes my car sometimes, right? He had mentioned that. Um, to, so he's sitting they, he's sitting in jail. Uh, two days later, they hear, you know, they're gathering more uh, information. Jorge has an alibi. He was at the movies. He has got Uber receipts showing exactly the minute where he was um, uh, of the time of the murder. And, and he sits in jail for four more days because I don't know what the police were thinking, but they're so convinced that sensor vault data cannot be flawed. They just keep him in there. And it turns out Jorge's stepfather borrowed his, you know, borrowed his car, borrowed his phone and was involved with this bur- uh, with this murder somehow. But that's just an example, right? Like um, his turns out his phone, uh, he would log in to Jorge's Google account using his phone. So <laughs> that's how he showed up in sensor vault. And that's the danger we face here with these centralized, um, centralized location services. And this is exactly what I'm saying there. So this guy didn't do anything wrong that we know of anyway. He certainly didn't do this thing. And even when the police had an alibi and a very good one, they they kept him in jail for four more days. And then the the person that believes in the system, not to mention probably having a giant brain tumor at this point, uh, but they would say something like, well, see, the system worked. No, wait, you put an innocent man incarceration for six days 
he's now got, you know, he's got mug shots and, and not a conviction record, but he's in the system. That's something nobody wants. And it's all about location data on a phone that honestly, it looks to me like they had no business looking at in the first place. Absolutely. And there's, you know, there's a real world human impact of this. I mean, this man lost his job. His car got impounded. He couldn't go to school. He, you know, had to drop out of college. He lost his girlfriend. He's suing the police department for $1.7 million. I hope he gets retribution and uh, it sucks that it comes out of taxpayer dollars, not from the police departments. But um, so, I mean, that's just, you know, that's just one thing that can happen. And so there are victims of, of big tech. And, you know, this is what we need to talk about because we need to see this stuff coming. We need to see it coming in, in real time. Um, one of the last examples I have will, will kind of show you how Apple and Google are used to push an agenda. And when you think about it, you know, 7 billion phones, if they want people to change their behavior, they can deploy it immediately like that to that many people. Um, this other thing I want to point out on the security front, you know, these big tech phones are not as secure as you might think. Now, we're talking about Apple iPhones here. Um, there's a scam that's been popular uh, in these recent years where you're in a bar or something, you're having a beer, and someone's looking at you typing your passcode, and they'll run up and snatch the phone out of your hand. All they needed was the passcode. A few minutes mm -hmm. later, you're locked out of your Apple account, which means you don't have access to your payments, your apps, your pictures, everything, right? Even your computer at home, you're locked out of it completely. This is centralization. That's the, that's the dangerous part. So um, this year, uh, there was this man, Greg, in Florida, and um, this happened to him. And he told Apple, Apple, I will fly into your headquarters. I'll do a biometric scan. I'll pay you $10,000. Please just, he has pictures of his daughters, uh, you know, on the phone. Mm. Only pictures of his eight-year-old daughters. He really wants those pictures back. Apple hasn't, um, Apple hasn't reinstated his account or anything. So, you know, it's like, who really owns the data? Do you, or do the, are you renting it? Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, then you bring on top of all this. Well, before you, do, I want to stick to this for a second. So one of the things that makes centralization insecure is the fact that it's centralized in the first place. So if you want to hack into, let's say, my Bitcoin hardware wallet, you have to hack one thing to get one thing. Right. If you can hack into a centralized database, well, you get all the things that are in that database. So when people talk about, you know, you know, some crypto was hacked. No, some exchanges database of crypto addresses and, and things were hacked. Like the centralization is what creates the security vulnerability. And I don't think people realize that as long as like you think of like there was a huge transunion hack a mm -hmm. few years back. Now, that's not really exactly what we're talking about, but it shows the same risk. As soon as you're in a database with a bunch of other people, you're much more worthy of, let's say, a sophisticated hacker's resources. None of this, the, these computers, none of this energy gets used for free, right? Like it costs resources for anybody, including a criminal, to, to do this other than low-tech hacking. Like you said, if I look over your shoulder in a bar, that's, that's pretty simple. But when it comes to I'm going to be stealing, you know, this idea we have the shadowy hacker and he's sitting there typing away at the computer. This has all been, you know, enhanced by Hollywood. The, 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 the type of hacking that's done is uses a lot more automation and probing and things like that. And 
they don't have the time or the money to spend those resources trying to get to your information or my information is a siloed thing, but they damn sure will expend the resources to get into Bank of America's records or Apple's records or Google's yeah. records because it's a honeypot once you're in. Yeah, absolutely. And you bring up a good point about them breaking into these centralized structures. Like I didn't even have the slide on here, but I should. But um, malware gets beneath or, you know, gets past Google and Apple all the time. There was this mm -hmm. recent investigation where Apple has a bunch of scam two-factor authentication apps, which um, one of them was actually sending off your 2FA codes, like the actual QR codes, off to a third-party server. And uh, they were pretending to look like a, another app that was very popular. So how does how do these big tech companies let that slide past them? On one hand, they say we're doing this for your security. On the other hand, they have you know they're they're not perfect and they're making big mistakes. Some of the apps on the some of the malware on the Google Play Store had over fifty thousand downloads. You know, so it's just you know we got to stop thinking of these companies as God and going with them. There's there's this other beautiful ecosystem in there as well, outside of them. This is um, another story that I, we brought up uh, earlier. And yeah, this is the one that Jack and I first connected over because uh, I know we're both Nostra users and we like Bitcoin Lightning. And so this uh, this Nostra app, for, for those of you that don't know, Nostra is a decentralized social networking protocol uh, and a messaging protocol. And so it was going to have, um, this app was going to have Bitcoin tipping. So Apple, with their control over the Apple App Store, they decided that Nos uh, Damas needed to use their in-app purchases. So what does that mean? That means that they need to use Apple's API, which gathers information about the purchase, and also Apple gets a 30% cut. Of course, it's about the money. And so they forced this app to strip this important feature. And um, now Damas is still on the app store, but it's it's missing this really cool feature that I think would be really awesome. I want this, you know, I want this app. Yeah, and there was a tech workaround with that. I don't know if you saw it now, but you can, takes a little bit of finagle and once you're done, you can now zap again by posting an emoji as a comment. Uh, whichever emoji <laughs> you want for whatever amount you want the zap to go, and it, it links up with your get Albi. but as happy as I was to see that, and as much as it was a middle finger to Big Apple, there would be nothing that would stop them from just saying, oh, we, you figured out a workaround. We're just going to ban you from the App Store altogether. And we've also seen this happen with complete coordination that, in my opinion, makes it a, a, a federal criminal offense. Um, whether you liked them or hated them, Parler is a legitimate social media platform. And, you know, leading up to an election, Apple, Amazon Web Services, Twitter, Google, uh, all conspired and simultaneously deplatformed the whole plot, not just person, but the whole platform itself. So that's a case of like yeah. the app providers just trying to do what they promised, which is uncensored ability to communicate with each other. And let's be honest, it wasn't even uncensored. It wasn't, in their opinion, properly censored right like like and so they just decided this was too dangerous to their agenda so they just shut it off 
Absolutely. If it's dangerous or if they're if other people are doing a better job than they are in their competition, those are both grounds from complete removal um, from the Google Play Store and the Apple App Store. So, like, you know, what is what should we be doing? Um, we should have choices for where we get our apps. And, you know, I'll show you guys a few alternative app stores in a bit um, that are going to you're going to have access to all the apps you want and also different free and open source apps. So let's, uh, totally. Let's before yeah. we do that, let's yeah. let's complete the beating of the head and shoulders of the enemy here. So we've kind of yeah. beat up on the centralized big tech as in the, the Apple and the Googles of the world. We've clearly demonstrated that the carriers are not do not have your best interest in heart. But what about the app makers? I think that's a that's like saying, what about people? Like mm -hmm. which app and who's behind it and what is its purpose? You know, because um, most of these apps, let's be honest, even if you pay for them, you don't pay very much. And very few of them, unless they're really, really heavy on utility, have a recurring revenue model. Mm -hmm. So they're not doing all this work and playing employing all these smart people like you to write code because they like you. Right. So they have to monetize these apps or they're not worth doing. So. I don't think we can trust the apps themselves either without knowing who's behind them and what they do. And I think also a lot of the things that we can't trust the apps with are enabled by the tech companies and the carriers. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, because I don't have slides on this specific one, I'm going to, I'm going to share my screen. So I have a few, I can share this part of the article with you. Okay. Here we go. So I've got another share going on if you want to add that on. Yeah. All right, perfect. So let's talk about um, the apps, right? Um, so before, so the, the biggest study that's been done has been on the Google ecosystem, the Android ecosystem. Before 2019, um, they allowed for apps to gather all these specific IDs, IMEI, SIM serial number, IMSI, hardware serial number. Since 2019, they've stopped letting apps do that. I don't know why it took them to, until 2019 to do it. The damage has kind of already been done. These companies you know, are log standing, but just I wanted to put that out there before we, we talk about this. So there was a study done, uh, I mentioned this earlier, the universities that came together and they looked at the top 15,000 uh, applications on the Google Play Store. Um, about 40% of these had over a million downloads. So these are apps that probably you've had in your phone and I've had in my phone when I used to use a traditional phone. And what they were looking at was these third-party advertising and tracking services. So the important points are back before 2019, they were collecting all of these unique IDs. That allows them to package up that data sell it to someone else, or even aggregate and associate it with other data. Um, the other th important things are, so this is a breakdown of um, the types of organizations these apps are connecting to. Some of them, you know, it's a website domain. They're, let's, let's say they're going to uh, analyticscompany.com. Some of them were, were like that. So those are specifically analytics and advertising companies. So at least we know that that's what they're doing. Well, it turns out, a pretty large portion of them were going to unknown domains. So domains that we don't even know. They're not analytics or advertising companies. We don't know what the hell they are. 
Um, so all the, the breakdown is here. If you want to check this article out, it's on takebackourtech.org. It's called Phones, Who Can We Call On? And now here's here's the silly part. So when they looked at, all right, these um, where are all these analytics companies coming from? Um, they looked at who owned the domains behind these companies. And of course, they found out Alphabet owned uh, 16 out of 20 of them. And there was a few parent organizations, and most of them were big tech. Right, so we've got Alphabet, Facebook, Verizon, um, Alibaba, you know, all of these big tech companies that were actually owning the app layer of it too. And so the takeaway here is um, these, how do they manage to do this? Because if you look at their privacy agreements for, for these, even these analytics companies, they say, we're never gonna share your data with outside, outside companies, okay? But what if you're a subsidiary of a larger company? And so that's that's the loophole. Yeah, the word outside, you know, there's this thing about the law. You have to be precise because the law is very precise. Like that's 101, law school 101 first year. Like the precision of language in a contract is incredibly important so that you can get your client what they want. Not, not because you want to be clear to the other side of it, but to make sure yeah. your client gets what they want. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and to uh, you know, mentioning what you were saying earlier. All right, so what's what's the play here? What are you guys doing with all this data? Well, there's um there's a really good article on let's see, pull it up. So what happens to all this data? This is just one company that's doing it, but um, at that point, these analytics and advertising companies, there are companies that they're called data brokers that buy this package data and they combine a bunch of different forces together. Um, companies like Fog Data Science, which has contracts with um, many state law enforcement agencies, um, federal law enforcement agencies, here we go, here's a list, NSA, oh no, those, those aren't it. But this company has a lot of different contracts with, with these companies. And what they do, they kind of, we, we mentioned that, that geofence warrant earlier, right? That sensor fault database, this company is doing the same thing. They want to let you pick a date and a time and see all the phones that showed up in that location. So it's a multi-pronged attack on, on our privacy. So what do we do? Like, I know you deal with de-Googled phones, so can we kind of start with that? Like, what is a de-Googled phone? Absolutely. Yeah, let me... Um, you need the other I'm one going back. to, if you want to bring the slides back up on screen, there is one more. Do you mind if I share this one story and I'm happy no. to? No, go ahead. This, this story is pretty insane. I'm doing like a deeper dive on this. But um, back in, in uh, 2021, there is an instance where Google worked with the Massachusetts Department of Public Health and they installed an app on a million phones without people knowing in Massachusetts. You're either living in Massachusetts or you were passing by. And so they installed this contact tracing app um, automatically to a million phones. And the way they did it, it was hidden and it could not be uninstalled. Um, and it also turned on Bluetooth and it began to see how close by people were. It was using Google and Apple's Exposure Notification API, that one giant project these two companies worked on together. And um, so there's a back door on your phone. There for sure is. They have they have this ability, and um, 
And so what do we do? Let's get rid of it. Let's get rid of it. So so this is what we can do. We can talk about degoogled phones. Uh, so I run a company called Above Phone. We're a provider of degoogled phones and software services. And the key thing about our software is it's all open source, right? I'm sure you guys, if Jack's a big on technology and open source, you guys know the, the software is always transparent. You can read through it, but more importantly, you can take it and change it if you wanted to. That's why in the open source ecosystem, you have tons of choice. If I want to pick a mapping app, I have four to choose from, not just yeah. Google Maps. If I want a Bitcoin wallet, I have like 12, you know? So this, um, this includes not just the operating system, not just the app, uh, also the communication methods. And what's really important is that you can install apps from anywhere. And the third thing that's really important, we talked a little bit about, um, well, we didn't get to talk about Hemisphere, but we know that our call detail records are being logged by many different sources and they're searchable. Um, so we need to ditch phone numbers. This is like a thing that I'm big on. We need to ditch phone numbers and switch to internet-based encrypted communications. And the reason is because I mentioned that Kalea 1994 uh, law or the act earlier, there's a carve out for internet-based communications, um, which means that telecom providers are not required to decrypt internet-based communications, right? That's our saving grace within the law. Um, and so these phones uh, offer, we, we have a suite of services that are all about internet-based comms. And also these phones have no connections to Google or Apple or no centralized big tech services by default. Um, and I've got a little bit of a demo for you. Let me bring the phone back up on screen. See where we are. So we've been doing this for about two years now. Um, very, I'm very blessed that we've got such an amazing response. And the thing we learned was, okay, these, these Google operating systems are great, but they're not complete products within themselves. And um, I know for me, when I am working on my garden, I don't necessarily try and do it all myself. I go to uh, people who have a lot more experience than, uh, than myself, like Jack, to figure it out. So that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to figure out all the different solutions that are required with a degooled phone. Like literally guys, we wanna make big tech obsolete. All of the services that we depend on, like maps and navigation, media, office, messaging, all of this, we, we're going to replace it. And we have replacements that you can start using today. Now, um, this, so this is the above phone. This is what you're getting. You're getting something very similar to this out of the box. There might be a few apps that we've added on since this version, but I just want to show you a few of the cool apps that we have. The first is very important. It's uh, the app stores we can use, right? So there's something called F-Droid that you might've heard. F-Droid, uh, the requirement to be an F-Droid is every line in your code needs to be uh, open source and also needs to be free and open source, meaning that people can take it and modify it and redistribute it as long as they have the same, uh, they give the same rights to everyone, right? So this is what F-Droid looks like. You can see they have their own versions of Angry Bird. They have a, a open a, a home automation uh, suite. And they have all these really awesome things. There's Bitcoin wallets, there's mail clients, there's, um, there's, uh, there's compass and navigation apps, some really cool stuff on here. Like I've replaced pretty much everything. So there's, um, so this, this store is where we need to start replacing our reliance. Those app developers that we couldn't count on, let's go to F-Droid apps because there's there's more visibility on these. They have um, they do much better at telling you about the permissions 
So they might be doing something I don't want, but at least I know it. Is that what you're saying? Okay. Yeah, then there's a very clear label too here. If yeah. an app makes party to, if an app makes connections to third, um, to third parties, right? So it's very clearly labeled. Okay. On top of that, you can have your cake and eat it too. Let's see if we get this guy to load. This is an app called Aurora Store. There we go. And what this is, this is a privacy wrapper over the Google Play Store. So. You don't have to have Google services to get apps from Google Play. This is uh, my friend Rahul. Um, there's company, well, his organization's called Aurora OSS. It was literally one guy who first made this app. And now there's, um, it feels like there's tens and thousands of people that use this. We donate regu- regularly to these guys. Um, so this is a way to download apps privately. It's using a bunch of shared anonymous Google accounts so you can download apps. So you can see that. All right. Well, if I wanted, see what's a good one here. I'll use, I'll use this Adobe Acrobat as an example. Um, you can still get the apps you want, and more importantly, now you can audit it. Look, this is a PDF app. It doesn't need trackers in it. Uh, we can use the. Because prior- why would it, right? Like, why would a PDF app need a tracker other than that was the purpose of the PDF app to put a tracker in it? They want to make sure you're staying under your carbon credits, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. Because so like, yeah, right? You've yeah. got all these different companies on there, Google, Facebook, Open Telemetry. So this is good. This is a step forward. You know, I don't, I'm not, I don't hold it against people that they have to use stuff like things like Facebook, but at least be informed. It's all about yeah. informed consent. There's so, a, there's a, it's a browser-based app. It's available for Firefox. It's available for uh, any of the Chromium browsers. It's mm-hmm. called Facebook Container. And what mm-hmm. it does is Facebook sees all the crap you're doing on Facebook, which they would anyway. But when you leave, it prevents them from seeing what you're doing elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And I don't use Facebook anymore. We, we stream there because I can do it with a button and never go there. Um, yeah. But when I left Facebook, that was one of the last messages I left my followers is you should be using this if you're going to use Facebook. But then you should ask yourself, why does this exist in the first place? And I think that's how people need to look at a lot of these apps that you're showing folks now. The reason this stuff exists is because of what the thing you're using every day does. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you get to, you get to like, as you use more of these apps and you do a comparison, like, so all these apps I'm looking at, all of them, with the exception of one, are all from free and open source app stores. That's uh, that's the that is the promise I want to make people. You can use open source apps and you will be taken care of. You will be taken care of. Not only that, but it's better than big tech. I'll show you some features here. Jack and I, before this call started, we were talking about owning your data and um, uh, owning your music and things that would make uh, record holders and copyright holders freak out. Right. So normal phones, they have DRM, like YouTube music. You can't even listen to music in the background without paying $5 a month. Here in the open source ecosystem, I can do that using NewPipe. Huh. If I can find the survival podcast here. So this is a private way to watch YouTube. It's only connecting to uh, YouTube's video servers and nothing else. So it doesn't have that tracking embedded. There's no algorithm that's trying to goad you into watching more videos. And so here's the coolest thing. Like, let's watch uh, Jack's review on flytraps. 
Now, I can play this right here. I can play this in the background. So I can lock my phone. I can play it in the background. So if you like, well, I don't have to buy YouTube Red to listen to music on YouTube. Basically, you don't. No, you don't. Yeah. And more, more than that, Jack, you can download it. You can download it as audio. So that's that's awesome. That's actually really awesome for me as a content producer because there's a lot of times that I want to pull some audio, right? Because I want to play the audio. You know, like like you hear on the radio, they play 30 seconds off or whatever. And the way I end up doing that right now is use certain third-party tools to strip the whole video down, and then I have to rip audio out of it. Uh, so that would be actually a really cool tool that, I mean, is unique to content creators. But there's a lot of us. And that's Absolutely. an example of flexibility. And, uh, you know, there is some things like, you know, I wonder about, like, I'll confess, I'm still on the Apple platform. There's there's always convenience versus privacy. Mm-hmm. And there's things that I do that I'm, you know, I actually have a workaround for this one now that involves Noster of all things. Mm-hmm. But there'll <laughs> be times that I'm going to need data later and I'm on the fly and I'll throw it into something like Notes. Because mm-hmm. then without doing anything, when I pull the Notes app up on my MacBook, those they sync instantly. And it may be as simple as something as, I don't, for instance, I don't run my email on my phone, so I may need to do something that requires access to email, like a confirmation link or something, because I got locked out of something. So by doing that, when I go back to my desktop, that link's there, right? Um, so how do you think that doing now is, you know, Noster in the private messages says note to self. But <laughs> I just kind of get an idea for people here that are worried, like, about the transition, all these things that they've yeah. been using. Right. I've been using an iPhone since before the podcast. Mm -hmm. I had an iPhone in in 2006. And so, yes, they have all this information on me, but I have this familiarity. And what's that? What's that like Mm -hmm. for the person migrating and realize a lot of us are older Xers and boomers. Right. So we're not as tech savvy. And I understand what you're saying. I try to stay as abreast of the stuff as I can and not get entrenched. But I get it when we start using words that we understand and the other person doesn't and they kind of just it's too hard. I sleep now like they're uh, <laughs> I can't do this. Right. And I don't think this is yeah. hard, but I think you'll understand that maybe like, is there a way to ease into Because this is what I've thought about doing, getting mm-hmm. one of your phones and using it, but not with my SIM on my card until I'm comfortable with it, because the only thing I really need that for is one, the data that I need to migrate, and two, the phone number. And I, I, I don't really care that much about the phone number. The phone really mm-hmm. is the least often used part of my phone anyway. Um, but there just is this hesitancy because I don't think that exactly. people that go out and spend $1,600 on the latest iPhone are opposed to spending $800 on a phone that frees them. I don't right. think it's a financial hurdle. I think it's a yeah. tech phobia thing. You see what I'm saying? I totally, yeah, this is something, you know, we, it's our job to, to help people through this. And one thing I can say is we're doing everything in our power to make this transition easy. And it is easy. You know, I have 80 year old grandmas that are uh, sending me encrypted end to end encrypted messages and calls and have anonymous phone numbers. And this is accessible. It's, it's never been as better. It's never been as good as reliable um, and as stable. So I do want to say, Jack, like what you were saying is you don't have to make a switch right away. You don't have to put your SIM card in. It's your freedom of choice of how you want to break it up. 
And uh, you mentioned that, you know, you're mostly using your phone at home anyway, so you don't even need a SIM yeah. card in it, right? Yeah. Just connect it to Wi-Fi or by Ethernet, which is what I recommend is more on the, the health side. Um, but I do want to show you, I was going to show you. I mean, I have like an eight-year-old iPhone right now that is a music distribution device, right? <laughs> it hasn't had a SIM card in it since like 2014. Yeah. Right? So yeah, a phone will work without that if you have Wi-Fi. Yeah, exactly. And that's what people miss. And then the cool part is you can even have a phone calls using internet based phone services. And so this is something we run as a part of above privacy suite. And um, that's a suite of services. It's $100 a year. It's completely optional. But the cool part is, is you get this encrypted uh, messenger. It's called XMPP. The software is over two decades old. It's very uh, solid, reliable. Governments and military have used their own versions of this. Google Hangouts used to be built on top of this. WhatsApp used to be built on top of this. So it's gone to millions and millions of users, but no one has ever pointed to the XMPP and been like, oh, this is, you know, this is the thing because that would, uh, that would, <laughs> that would give away their money and power. So this has been around for a very long time. And I'm going to show you, um, one cool thing is I can actually make calls like this. So I'm just going to, this, I know this is a fake phone number. Let's just pick an area code. What's a good area code, Jack? 972. 972, thank you. So you can simply make a call like this using this internet phone number. You would die, it look, you can see it looks like an email. That's yeah. the XMPP address, but it yeah. literally bridges out from the internet to the cell network at one location. Uh, that location's in Canada. It's like um, LNURNL for phones, right? Like, yeah. yeah. Like using an email address for a, a wallet of Satoshi to send Bitcoin, but you're using it for a phone number. It's exactly. Awesome. And like you've got all your features too. You can, uh, it first, it's international. So you can make international calls and texts. Um, you, people can call you and leave voicemails and it comes in as like a little mess, playable message and it transcribes it. So it's, it's a lot better than uh, just a normal phone call. Now here's, here's the kicker. This service is only five bucks a month and you can pay in Bitcoin. So it's, it's completely, you know, it's anonymous in the sense that you don't have to put your information in. Now, as you start to use the phone and, you know, it does go over the phone network. As soon as you start calling your mom and be like, Hey mom, it's Ramiro. Then of course your identity, you know, that happens, but still it's, um, it's a really awesome uh, tool that I use. The phone number on my business card is one of these. So um, you can get that with the above privacy suite. And the cool part is too, it integrates with your dialer. So I can, you know, I can dial a number and it'll dial out using ah, that. It'll do the email thing for me, right? That's right, yeah, Makes it automatically sense. does that. So um, we've got tools like that. And you know, as far as the transition, like that's been our major goal is how can we make this accessible to the masses? So um, at abovephone.com, when you check us out, whenever you get one of these phones, we fold in uh, like a live support call with you. We spend 30 minutes to an hour on this live support call. We have your old phone. You have your new phone. We help you transfer the contacts. Um, if you want to use cell service, you know how easy it is? You just take a SIM card and you put it in the above phone. That's all you need to do. And then, you know, it's activated. It's got that service. We help you get the apps that you'd like, and we teach you how to use the phone. For most people, they get the hang of it in about three to hours of use. And um, and yeah, so I, I encourage you to try it. 
it's um, now one thing I was going to mention was these uh, these other apps here. I mean, actually, Jack, do you have any questions on like different types of apps that you would be interested in for replacements? Well, so I'm I'm a, I'm a borderline boomer, right? So I'm still using Pandora. I got all these 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 uh, playlists yeah. and and training done. Um, I also, uh, you know, I have Apple music where I can listen to whatever I want, whenever I want. Those are two things that are, you know, somewhat important to me. It's probably one of the things I use my phone for the most is to listen to music. Um, I have a ton of music that was like, I, I owned it, even though they say you're renting it where I actually had copies of it. And that's, mm-hmm. it's been so long with access to these streaming services. A lot of it, I'm not even sure what, where it is. It's on yeah. a external hard drive somewhere or whatever. So being cut off from my music would be like one of the things. And again, the work that I have into something mm-hmm. like a Pandora channel that I've been training since 2010, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Now, now you know what, that is one of the things I miss most about having like music recommendations. Yeah. But this app I've got uh, up on the screen right now. Oh, and by the way, I just want to quickly mention too, we've got a discount code for uh, the survival podcast. So TSP 75 gets you $75 off any phone. I think I have a slide for that too. I'll, I'll bring that up later. Um, TSP 75. And um, so, yeah, Jack, thanks for, uh, so the, so the music aspect, this, um, this is inner tune. Again, it's that same concept where we are, using a uh, we're connecting to YouTube music servers, but we're only pulling down the music. We're not getting any of the tracking. And this is cool because let's see if I can. Oh, it's a music video. Let's see, I can actually go into this. And I should be able to download it. So that will save to a folder on my phone. Wow. Yeah, that's a pretty gnarly album cover. Don't like that very much. So um, you're taking it to another level. You're not just using it as a streaming service now. You're actually taking the audio and holding it so it's available at any time. That's right. You can take it from your phone. You can put it on your computer. Do whatever you want with it. It's your data. I think in the long run, when you get one of these phones, you save. You know, you save money. And that's the exciting part to me. It's like you're having freedom. Um, you have more flexibility. There's other stuff like that. Like we have a podcast app. You have a podcast, right? I do. <laughs> I do. It's had it for a little while now. <laughs> Just over 15 years. Hey, let's see how I have this. We're on it right now. So this is cool. Can um, get your podcast on here. Oh, there it is at the top. That's good. You want to show up at the top for your own name. Yeah, you'd hope so, right? Yeah. So whenever this finishes loading, I can, you know, I can stream all these episodes. I can download the episodes all the way to my phone. See, I've got all the options here, right? Yeah. So, yeah, this is all, you know, all really cool stuff. And then we've got stuff like uh, navigation, too. Now, by the way, just cut me off if you have a question or anything. So this is um, one app that we use. This is the only app that's not open source on this phone. The only reason is is because they use server-side routing. Um, So let's see. So it'll do things like a factor in traffic analysis and stuff. But look, this is an alternative to to Google Maps. Now that is using location services, though. So is that bleeding some data? 
it is. It's using GPS, but it's not using location services. Oh. So it's using a GPS as a passive protocol, actually. So your phone is getting the satellite location, and it's not your set location isn't being beamed off anywhere. Okay, um, so it's 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 li it's literally acting like like an old school Garmin or something. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And now now here's the cool part too. That one that app was not open source. This app, Organic Maps, is open source, and this app you can make completely offline. So let's say I wanted to do a road trip across the country, I could just go close to you know where I need to go. I can download all the maps on my route. And then I can actually navigate across the country and it's all, it's using, um, you know, it's using like a nearest neighbor algorithm on the phone. It's not the nearest neighbor algorithm. Yeah. It's a specific name for it to route on your phone. Um, and uh, you can have your cellular data off. But I've created the map and I'm just seeing where I am on the map with the GPS. So it's like a GPS merged with like a Rand McNally Atlas from 1985. <laughs> exactly. The best of both worlds. That's all I want. Is that too much yeah. to ask? So, it, you know, there's a lot to explore, and I'm happy, you know, um, Jack, we'll get you set up on one of these. And, you know, I think one of the things I appreciate about you is, like, you are, you're going to use the tools. So I yeah. feel like with some of these, you know, you're going to find a practical use for them. I'm working on, like, that's kind of my mission. Right now, one of the projects I'm working on is a way to crowdsource maps in your hometown so like when um during the pandemic they would promote stores they would put labels on uh, stores that would enforce covid policies and whatnot people got really angry they left bad reviews they banned those who left those bad reviews we just need to flip the script yeah i want to make a map where it's the stores that didn't follow any of that shit okay right? okay and um we can do that using these open source apps so that would be awesome because like I do have an app called Safe to Carry, mm -hmm. and basically it lets me know uh, the, the businesses that I can do business with where I don't have to disarm myself to go in. Right? I don't oh, have to cool. walk up there and I'll see, see 3006 and 3007 signs in the state of Texas that say, doesn't matter that Texas says you can carry anywhere now, you can't carry yeah. here. And so I'll know in advance, for instance, that I'm not going to the Sprouts grocery store because – they don't value the safety of their of of the people that are there because the because the person like me isn't going to carry in that store and risk a felony, but somebody that's going to go in there and shoot somebody doesn't give a shit. Yeah. Right. So the best thing they could have is ten guys like me standing in there. If some whack job comes in and starts taking people out, but they don't care, so I don't want to give them my money. So you're talking about like let's make that universal with the ideals of liberty that this place doesn't value you and your liberty and your freedom. So. You know, maybe you're stuck. Maybe you have to buy from a Walmart here and there. But if you have an alternative, why not know that it's there? I love that. And you can put, you know, it's cool because if it's deep, like it's a crowdsourced map, you can put whatever you want on that map. You know, yeah. tomatoes, like shopping supplies. So this is cool. I'll have an article on Take Back Our Tech uh, sometime in August with this. And um, yeah, like um, the last thing too, I know we're, we're going over the hour mark, so I want to leave some time for questions, but I yeah. want to talk a little bit about Above Privacy Suite. So okay. these are a suite of software services, and our focus has been universal internet utilities, right? These are important utilities we all use, talking email, calendar, video conferencing. We found decentralized open source software for all of them, which more importantly, works on this Above phone, works on your laptop, works on the browser, 
It also works on other phones. You can use it on your iPhone. So you're not tied to our system. Unlike Apple, we've helped around a thousand people, you know, uh, leave Apple and Google now. Now they don't make it easy to leave. We'll make it easy to leave with our stuff. So this is um, our email account. It's an at above that I am email account. Um, our email server, we're deleting logs every 48 hours. That's just to prevent uh, DDoS attempts. People try and spam the servers. But yeah, it's an email account you can have anywhere. Um, I mentioned the encrypted chat earlier. Yeah. This allows you to make this allows you to make um, voice calls and video calls, and the quality is really good. It's actually it's better than Telegram. Um, it's better than WhatsApp, which is kind of nuts. So on again, is that a is that a data based voice call? So it uses real time streaming. Um, okay. So what it does. So this is federated. It's kind of it's similar to to Nostra, right? You have your own uh, your server that's kind of like your email server. It's responsible for connecting to your counterparty's server. Okay. And first they establish the connection. They trade the encryption keys and then they stream real time audio and video to each other. Okay, that's cool because it's basically a VoIP communication, then, right? It's it's a it's a VoIP, right? It's voice and or voice and VoIP, right? It's voice and video, right? VoIP. Um, but I mean, I think the reason that's important. I learned something from you the last time we spoke in Bastrop that I did not know, and I felt dumb that I didn't know. And you were saying like, data is all we have because we are not permitted as free citizens in the freest country on earth to encrypt are voice communications. But voice doesn't necessarily mean audio. It means voice across the, the, the phone network. So I pick the mm-hmm. phone up and I call you. So if I'm using some sort of end-to-end encryption across the, the voice world, I, I, I'm committing a federal felony. Uh, I think it's in the Telecommunications yeah. Act, right? But if I'm yeah. encrypting data, I'm fully within my rights as a citizen of a tyranny. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And Jack, it's like this big responsibility has been put on our shoulders. We have to get rid of phone numbers, right? How nuts yeah. is that? Yeah, well, we can do it. We well, can we do can. it. I mean, we can do it right now. It's just, you know, you got to make sure that everybody that knows how to get you with your phone number knows your new way to get you because we've had this type of communication mm-hmm. available for, you know, oh, well mm-hmm. over a decade. I remember playing with the first <laughs> the IP stuff so long ago, it had intermittent problems because I was on dial-up. I mean, that's how long we've had this tech, so we can do this. Just gave me a great idea to build like an app when you you register for this XMPP account, automatically text all of your contacts or a subset of your contacts. Hey, I'm off this. Join me. You know, join me here. Yeah, that's what we need to do. It's like the network effect. Yeah. Um, so we've got that. This is uh, this is so what I just brought up XMPP. That one you have to register for. You okay. know we charge for our service because you know co- running a data center costs money. But you can sign up yeah. to XMPP anywhere. It's free. You can even run a server at home. So I encourage you to do that if you don't want to pay for our service. This is a service called Jitsi. It's an alternative to Zoom. And so um, you can hop into a video call and you can just send someone a a link. So you can text someone a link, you can email someone a link, or have to log in here. But um, actually, I can't give that away on stream. Yeah. But take my word for it. There's there's a button at the bottom of the screen, and you just send a link. Anyone can join, 
Um, so they don't need an above phone to join. They can join on an iPhone. They can join on a laptop, right? Same, same type of concept. There's one last thing, and I think you'll appreciate this, Jack. This is our, uh, this is our search engine. This is a meta search engine. Um, it's a software called Search, uh, search SearchXNG. And what it allows is instead of going directly to your search engine, it's a layer between you and your search engine. But more than that, you can choose what search engines. So I've got Bing, I've got Brave, I've got DuckDuckDo, Google, Start Page. I can choose which search engines I want to query. And that way I can, you know, do a <laughs> get the most research as I want. Google's censoring some shit. Okay, just turn them off. No big deal. It's Dogpile. <laughs> there used to be a search engine called Dogpile that did that. It died in the great search engine wars of the early nineties, uh -huh. right? Like there was that's when they had Alta Vista and Lycos and crap like that back then, right? And like so this is like recreating that using the ones that have survived. And that's really cool because more sources equals more data equals more options. That's right. And then you know, one of the most beautiful parts about this whole ecosystem is no ad. You don't get ads back from those search engines. Um, they're not, you know, they can't track you. That's one of the coolest things about this phone. Like, I think that weighs the most on my conscience. Um, well, the first thing is being able to speak without worrying about microphone permissions because I've disabled them, you know, at the phone level. Um, but also having no ads on my phone. I, I hate ads. Something like deep in the core of my being that gets triggered by ads. <laughs> Trigger warning. <laughs> this is pretty amazing. Let's see if we can hit some of the things people are asking about. Um, this this isn't really a question. I just wanted to kind of comment on it. Stymie says, sim swapping scares me, especially in regards to Bitcoin and crypto. You should not be trusting your phone with your Bitcoin and not having any other access to it. And you shouldn't have very much Bitcoin accessible on your phone. That's my opinion. Like, that should be the last thing you're worried. You notice when when he asked me if there was anything specific I was worried about being able to say anything about Bitcoin. Um, you know, you might have a couple hundred bucks in lightning on a, a lightning wallet or something like that. But uh, if you're holding you know, thousands of dollars in, in Bitcoin on your cell phone, that's wrong. If you're doing that plus you have not like replicated the wallet somewhere else on another device. That's that's all, all kinds of wrong. Like when you set up a new wallet, the first thing you should do, in my opinion, is do a recovery of it on another device to make sure that you've got the recovery phrase right. So I don't know if you want to add anything to that, but I just like that shouldn't be a problem. You shouldn't create the situation for it to be a problem. This almost shouldn't be a problem. It'll only be a problem if you're using a custodial wallet like Coinbase or something, right? And your yeah. two-factor is getting a text message. Yeah. If, you're, if your two-factor is, you know, you're not a text message, then you're golden. They would yeah. need to get their hands on your phone, which is still a thing. But um, for swim, SIM swapping, too, we, uh, we have a partnership with this company called Afani. Uh, pay attention to our site. We'll be doing an interview with them. And also connect them to you if you're interested. But they have um, a sim a swim swapping protection, which is like 14 layers of steps that people have to get through in order to swap your sim. Okay. For me personally, but he's not. saying it a different way than I thought. I'm glad you you brought. So I was thinking mm -hmm. he was afraid just to get one of your phones and move the sim over. He's talking about somebody getting his sim and yeah. and moving it in their phone. 
yet another reason that you should not have large amounts of, of crypto available on your phone. And if you're using Coinbase, you're keeping your crypto on the exchange and you're wrong. I, I don't generally tell people you're just wrong. Um, people make their own decisions. But if you're still if you're holding your Bitcoin on an exchange after everything you've seen the last year, go to your doctor and have them do a scan and make sure you ain't got a brain tumor. Right. Like something's wrong. Like you, you got to get off. the. Paul Revere has ridden by and told you that they're coming. So please get off there. Um, this is more of a general question. Hogs says uh, when the phone is turned off, does it still send information? No, in our tests, it hasn't. And don't take our word for it. You, there's two ways you can um, use a packet sniffer to see if there's any it's just like a little antenna to see if there's any um, data packets being sent off the phone. The other way is using um, electromagnetic impulses. So you can get like a little EMF meter, turn it off and see if anything's happening. Those are the two ways you can check. We haven't seen anything. And I don't think you would. I would say, but the exception would be as if you're targeted. I do believe that they can actually turn your phone on remotely. If, But it's not something you can just do to everybody all the time. Um, but I've also also said, like, if you're targeted for some reason, um, yeah. then that's a different world. Uh, a lot of things people think gives them privacy. If someone was like someone from the government was specifically targeting you for an investigation, there's a lot of things that normally would be very private that all of a sudden are not so private. They have Remember, every, every tool at their disposal, right? So. Yeah. Don't uh, don't ever think you're Jason Bourne because you're not. Um, Builder Castle says you're like 10th on the list of who owns your phone. You're I think sure. there's proof to that. Well, if you talk about access being ownership. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, who pays for it? You do. Yeah. yeah. Flip that around. Yeah. There's a question about pricing. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, Builder Castle says, if there was a brand new worldwide net that could be accessed by a phone, what hardware software would you uh, would you set up to use the new network? I think what he's talking about is like there's a lot of buzz about the idea that we'll eventually build our own parallel Internet. But I think we're way off on that yet. There's there is some meshing going on, but somebody's still plugged into an ISP to get. Right. You know, I, you I think a, it's a big question that. People, a lot of people like to say, we have the answer to it. But you know, like Jack's saying, I'm still relying on the Internet. I will say one, uh, some of my friends in the UK, they're working on BChat, which is um, first it was quantum resistant encrypted comms. And you would have your own radio connected to the phone, then you'd have a repeater. Mm -hmm. They got funding and they're working on, they're working on, um, they're working on something bigger. So it's going to happen. It's going to happen in our lifetime. How cool yeah. is that? But don't worry about it because Elon's going to save us all with satellite Internet. And you can totally trust Elon. He'll never put a chip in your brain or give your information to the WEF or anything. You'll be good. Don't worry about it. It's all Not good. Like Black Rock it's all good. He can trust Elon. Um, and anybody that ain't figured out that was sarcasm, also go to your doctor and get a brain scan. Anyway, above phone technology that Romero helps us use is so far the only one I know of that lets you fine tune your privacy as per app. Uh, Google and Apple's are the ones that are ask, asking for all these permissions. So basically what they're saying is like, I can give one app more visibility than another app. Is that what he's saying? So yeah, thanks Bajuno. Um So yeah, exactly. This is like one of the main features of, of Graphene OS, the operating system. 
And so um, you can control every permission, right? I, this is a Telegram. So Telegram has a bunch of permissions. You can not only control its camera, but you can set up contacts, locations. You can even cut it off from the internet. So we were talking about that offline map app earlier. You really mm -hmm. want to be sure you can cut it off from the internet, right? It's on don't allow right now. Um, and here's another really cool thing. There's this uh, feature called contact scopes. And I can, so like for instance, WhatsApp. If some people, a lot of our customers, they live in Latin America. The way of life in Latin America is WhatsApp. I don't know why the hell it ended up like that, but they have to use it. So what they can do, instead of giving access to their entire contacts, they only pick a few. Now, if I go into this, so I can pick, you know, I can pick a few apps or pick a, pick a few contacts in there. And mm. now Telegram only has access to those. Similarly, there's a feature with uh, storage as well, photos and videos, another storage scope where I can give it a folder it has access to. Let's use Telegram images. And it doesn't have access to the rest of my phone. So, you know, you get to decide how much access these apps have. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, let's see. This is really not a question about your phones in particular. It's more like somebody watches a lot of CSI. Does using a burner phone with a fake name help with being anonymous as long as you don't sign into any of your accounts? Now, that's, there's a lot of, uh, it, so it depends on what you're using the burner phone for. Are you mm -hmm. using the burner phone to make drug deals and, you know, you switch from one phone to another phone? and you're calling the same people over again. Well, if you're doing that, just don't do it because the DEA figured out how to deal with that over 10 years ago. Okay. It's that program called Hemisphere. So um, uh, 40 billion new call records a day are added into Hemisphere. All the call records, they do this in collaboration with AT&T. Most cell towers are, even if they're not, if it's a T-Mobile cell tower, it'll still use AT&T switches. That's how they're able to do that. Um, when you call and text people, even if you use a burner phone, if you're still contacting the same people, there's probabilities that you're the same person. So they built an algorithm. They called it drop phones. It was specifically to find drug dealers with burner phones at a 95% success rate. That was back in 2000. Um, I want to say 2012. Okay. You're way past that. <laughs> well, and I also have always told people like, your end can be secure. It's only as secure as the other end. So you're using a burner phone, but your your boy on the other end is using an Apple phone, right? And he's texting his boys that his stuff's coming, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, it, they might not instantly know who you are, but they've got to line into what's going on. And that's something, you know, nefarious or whatever, but it could be anything. Like, people always need to realize no matter how secure your side of a communication is it's really only as secure as the other side um i use proton mail for this i know proton is not as secure as they claim but let's say that it was if i'm emailing you on yahoo or you're really a boomer and you have an aol address <laughs> like that email communication no matter how secure proton is is only as secure as your side of it absolutely that's like the gold standard for me is software that you can run yourself and XMPP and end-to-end -end encryption. Absolutely. Um, so KBonk is asking about desktop options that also provide security because most people are using Windows or, or iOS. I'm glad you asked. So uh, I'm doing the same thing with laptops. I'm working on a fully customized and configured 
Linux machine. It's going to be called Above Book. It should be out sometime in August. And then on the website, on our website, takebackertech.org, um, we have a whole system on operating systems. Uh, and so we have, so install Linux, right? And the same thing that we're talking about today with Google phones, Linux is the most popular family of alternative operating systems, right? Mm -hmm. So there's this article called Installing Linux from Scratch to Save the World. All the same principles apply. You have more choices of software. They work better. They usually provide you more freedom. There's no one tracking you. Um, and they're getting really, they're, they're really nice. They're, they're not getting nice. Like I started using Linux in 2015. Uh, it, had, it had a screenshot tool where you could pick out rectangles. Microsoft didn't have that until like two years ago. They're so, they're so behind, it's nuts. So um, you can enjoy a better experience here. So I've got, a, you know, I've got articles and videos on this. And if you want to contact us for more help, you can definitely do that. Um, and again, just, just uh, sign up to our mailing list on the Above Phone website, and you'll know about the laptops when they come out too. I mean, I just think overall there's no way that centralized will ever keep up with open source. Just because of the nature of open source is some dude with an MIT PhD is bored. So he's going to like whip something out in the open source. So you get this crowdsourcing and this faster movement. I think that's coming to AI as well. I was talking a couple of weeks ago about how mm -hmm. the media really completely mischaracterized the Google memo about we have no moat. And they used it. They didn't say it, but they used it to infer AI was going to get out like the Terminator and kill everybody and take over your computer and attach to your Norelco razor and shave your neck and kill you. Yeah. Like they made it like that. And really what the memo was about is that they had no way to contain the LLMs and that mm -hmm. open source was going to take it and do stuff with it anyway and that they would be better off embracing the open source model, which, of course, they won't. Um, but the, the memo made very good arguments for it because that's what you end up with. That's part of why, you know, things like lightning and Bitcoin are so powerful is because you've got some dude in his garage in Oregon and some guy at MIT both working to make the network better. And Absolutely. And they that, have the same tools, right? It's like yeah. going back to the whole um, gun at the grocery store. It's the ultimate equalizer. If we're all on the same page, we can be safe for it. The whole AI thing too, that could be its own topic of conversation, but we need to, like uh, we need equalized AI because there's a lot of power in it. Uh, question from Bowillen. Uh, do these alternative app stores have solutions for things like Apple CarPlay or Android Auto? That's something I never even thought of. You know, you get in your car, you plug your phone in, all your apps just pop up, nice little interface with your car. Um, how's that work? Unfortunately, these are one of the very few sacrifices you have to make. Android uh, Auto, those are all proprietary Google services. The developers of these operating systems have not, you know, developed a replacement. Um, yeah. But Bluetooth works completely fine. You can do Bluetooth calls. You can play music. Everything you're used to. Personally, just I, I like a good old-fashioned aux cord, so I don't want that radiation in, you know, in my car. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, so to answer your question, no. But you know, there's no replacement for just using a like a mount and putting your phone on there and using the app on the phone. I guess the biggest thing for me to give up there because I can listen to podcasts or music, and that's mostly <laughs> what I do. But it's nice having a navigation app up on the vehicle's heads-up display. And I guess you can't do that then. You can't do that. No, okay. no. Um, you'd have to use you'd have to use the phone, use the phone itself. 
Okay. One, and this is a good point. Like I try and be open about, you know, the limitations of the phone. The few, the few sacrifices you will make, no 3D games. Um, this operating system is very secure. So it's constantly like erasing the memory in the buffer, right? Yeah. So in a 3D game, you've got a lot of memory going on. So those, those 3D games won't work. Don't even try it. Okay. Um, then, because it doesn't have Google services by default, you won't be able to use the Airbnb app or Uber unless you install those Google services, which you have the ability to do that. You okay. can even put them in a little jail. You can put them in an isolated container and do it that way. Or what I prefer is you just use the web browser. Okay. Yeah, let's jump ahead to that real real quick here because one of our listeners says, any apps you can't seem to find alternatives to can be uh, set up in sandbox mode, create a user which is completely walled out of the owner profile using sandbox Google Play services. So basically you got an app, it does things you're not really in love with, but you can put it in its own little jail cell and you only let it do, you you, you give it a prison furlough when you need it only. Is that kind of a good way to put it? hundred percent, hundred percent. This is, this per, this commenter right here has obviously been through our training program. <laughs> okay, cool. So then let's go back. We have another question here. This is more an opinion question. How does Brave's VPN race? Somebody's looking for a VPN. I completely endorse using a VPN. Uh, of course, every time you fire up your Brave browser, it tries to sell VPN service to you. Uh, would you consider them a reliable VPN service or not? I think I think when it comes to VPN, the most um, cutting edge VPN protocol right now is called WireGuard. WireGuard is special. This is just the name of the technology. Brave's, Brave is likely using it. Uh, Mulvad is using it. Proton is using it. Before that, the technology was called OpenVPN. But WireGuard is better because it's connectionless, meaning exactly. like it doesn't connect to one website and one make one request and repeat that. It just sends streams of encrypted packets. Okay. Now, most VPN providers are going to be using WireGuard. Our VPN service that we have on the phone is using WireGuard. You have to make your judgment on the track record of the company. Okay. Um, Brave, there's telemetry in their browser. Um, they do things like if you go to Binance, they used to do this. If you go to Binance.com, it would auto rewrite the URL to uh, go to the Brave's referral link. And it's like Brave didn't refer you. You're just using Brave browser. So yeah. like things like that would make me think twice. Okay. Just totally unrelated. What's your what's your opinion of the impervious browser if you have one? The new impervious AI browser? Yeah. I have not done my research on okay. that. Fair enough. I played with it. I, I really like the idea of it, but I just it made me think of it when you said that. And then but Willem was also asking about things like Waze. So that would be a perfect example of something that I do use. Um mm -hmm. integrated with like CarPlay and all. And the reason I use it isn't just as a navigation app. It's because it, it, it could turn into someday my dream uh, lightning value for value app because mm -hmm. people rat out the police on ways. <laughs> um, the last time I went to Tennessee, it saved me from no less than four contacts with law enforcement because I was nice. uh, I was northbound and down in my Challenger and uh, the foot gets a little heavy in that car. And, you know, seeing the little cop thing pop up and slowing down and yeah. waving and saying, yeah, he's still there. I dream of an app someday that I'll be able to tip the guy that ratted them out. It also tells you about things like road hazards, vehicles on the side of the road, stuff like that. So I, I'm a heavy user of Waze, 
Fortunately, it's not heavy use because it's when I travel, which isn't a lot. But when I'm yeah, going long distance, I have that thing on every time because it seems to be worth it because I don't want any contacts with law enforcement I don't have to have. First of all, that's a million dollar idea about being able to tip the guy. That's a really good idea. And I hope I'm going to try and connect you with a developer that can make that happen. <laughs> okay. Um, the other thing is Waze is owned by Google. Yeah. And um, it used to be both Google Maps and Waze used to work on the above phone and other Google phones without Google services. How funny okay. is that? They used to work fine. But Google caught on and they started to break it and required the Google services. So in this case, you would need to install, you know, that jail we were talking about. Yeah. Install Google services and throw it in there, switch over and use it. OK, so I would only use it for because that's I mean, literally, I take four or five trips a year. And that would be when I would use it for that type of a thing. Okay. You'd have your Pandora and then you'd have your ways. Yeah. They would both be locked away and used only when necessary. Um, let's um, that, that that's, that's all the questions I got. And so let me just switch back over to live real quick and see if there's anything else that came in. That's a question. No, it's just people talking uh, to each other. Dude, this has been really interesting. Um, we kind of mentioned your two primary websites, uh, uh, quite a few times, but let's do that again now. Let people know where they can go to learn more. And then you've got that discount code you can let people know about as well. Yeah, actually, um, I've got the uh, slide. It's got the um, right here. two phones on there. Perfect. And I neglected to put the website on there, but it's abovephone.com. And we've got this coupon code for y'all. That'll be valid till uh, next Sunday. And um, feel, there's so many ways to contact those guys. I know you probably have more questions. Um, we've got a team of real people. It's all people that got sick of the way the system was treating them. And we're, you know, we're building an alternative system, an alternative company. So feel free to call us. Um, you know, you can email us and we'll be, we'll be in touch with you. And again, we've got that one hour, uh, one hour call that you can have when setting up the phone. So we'll take care of you. So I do want to address something I thought I had started, but I guess I missed it. There was a question about why the prices of the phones seem high. There's a couple reasons. One, these are the same phones in the beginning as you get from a provider if you're buying a Pixel, right? So um, there's a cost to that. You guys have to pay that cost. Then you have to put time and effort into the modification of the device. Uh, so think of it as if you went out and bought a Ford Mustang uh, or a, a Dodge Challenger, and then you put a dual uh, turbo into it, you're not going to turn around and sell it for what you paid for. You got to put the, the cost of the upgrade into your, you know, your back in the eighties, we had a thing called a Callaway Corvette where they turbocharged the most badass Corvette they could get. You did not buy it for the price. You could get it from a Chevy dealership because they did something to it. But then you add in the fact you've got a one hour phone call to help you uh, get somewhere with someone that actually, you know, can, can communicate effectively and isn't reading a script in Bombay or something. Uh, there's there's cost to providing services. And then on top of it, they're not, you know, above phone isn't linked in with AT&T and charging you through your phone bill 20 bucks a month in addition to what you paid up front that's actually going to pay for the phone or something like that. You're actually buying and owning a device that you can turn around and do anything you want to with from modifying it your, on your own stuff or throwing it in the river. Like it's yours. It's you're, you're buying it outright. We're very few people today. I think actually buy their phones outright. I do. 
but I don't think most people do. I think most people go to their, you know, their carrier, they go to the AT&T store or whatever, and they say, I want a new phone. And, you know, you got to listen to someone that doesn't know how to find their own ass, explain to you that there's this plan and that plan and whatever, just give me a price. And I want this much, you know, I want this phone. Uh, it never works that way. So you guys are actually selling the device as a standalone item with all of this service built into it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, Jack, for, for saying all that. And I think that the reason is, is because we're trying to be the best. And, you know, um, there is just the cost of the phone involved, but we're trying to do so much over the top. We're uh, working. We, we have articles and videos showing you how to do um, basic things with the phone. So it's all this stuff costs money to produce it in a nice way. That's easy to understand. And I also just want to um, mention one thing, too. Um, this is something this is just a public service announcement. But these uh, phones nowadays, if you whether you have them on Wi-Fi or you whether have, you have them on radio, one of the best things I think you could do for your help is use an Ethernet adapter. At home. So I'm going to show you one I have right here in my office at home. I have an Ethernet adapter, right? Goes like uh, you've seen those Ethernet wires. The other part plugs into the phone. So um, I plug it into the phone and that way I'm using it without any radiation in, uh, in my bedroom. And I think this is something we you'd especially need to have with your kids um, because we've been doing a lot of research on the effects of electromagnetic radiation. It's not good. We're seeing an, a very sharp increase in malignant brain tumors. They're called glial tumors from people holding the phones next to your head. Public service announcement, don't do that. Put it on speakerphone. Keep it away from your head. Um, this is, uh, you know, invisible danger that unfortunately we're having to face. And this is more more than just the privacy aspect. This is about our relationship to technology. Um, so we have those Ethernet adapters available when you're when you're going to check out the phone, as, as well as the phone case, um, audio adapters, a uh, little storage device, which basically doubles the storage of your phone and additional support if you need it. So, again, you know, you can't where can you buy a phone with its case? You know, mm -hmm. um, so yeah. Well, definitely people should check it out. I'll remind you guys again. Uh, we're live right now. If you're watching us live anyway, it will take me about 30 to 60 minutes once we say goodbye here in a few moments to get this, uh, the, the stream downloaded off StreamYard, converted over and published at the survivalpodcast.com. Uh, and you can go there. There's a link. If you're watching the video in the future, there's a link right down in the video description that will go to those audio notes. And if you click it this second while we're live, it won't work because we're not done yet. Um, but all of uh, all of the stuff will be there and uh, you, you will be able to to get to the websites, et cetera. And I'll add in the discount code again, which is TSP 75 valid until July 30th. Get 75 bucks. Any of the phones available at above phone and definitely look into doing this and don't let the fact that you're technologically intimidated um, affect your decision here because you know I, one thing I really like about above phone is the fact that they do absolutely help you with the transition because there are some changes and being able to reach out to somebody and, uh, and and help you through and walk you through and handhold you through those changes uh, is is incredibly valuable. So, uh, Romero, thank you today. This is one of the like this is probably one of the more technological shows we've done and yet still very understandable to the average person. So thank you for that. Hey, man, thank you for having me on. Really appreciate it. Have a lot of fun going back and forth that 
the wackiness of the situation today, but you know, we're together, we're working on solutions and um, I have so much faith in the future. All right, man. Well, thank you. And, and, and we'll, we'll have you back on sometime because it's been fantastic. All right, brother. All right, folks, with that, I appreciate you all hanging out with us today. I hope it informs you not just to the problem, but to the solution. I've always tried to point out problems and then say, well, here's what to do about it, where I just feel a lot of media out there today, all they want to do is point to problems. People love problems. Solutions always require action and taking additional steps and kind of going right in line with yesterday's show, some level of being uncomfortable. There's there's a reason we call them comfort zones. They're comfortable and using the same device you've used for a decade or more. It's comfortable, even if it isn't the best thing for you. So at least stay open to this and uh, take a look at the phones and what's out there. And uh, the phones that are available, I'll just put it this way. They, they, whatever Androids do, uh, they, uh, Apple will get to that two years later. They're, they're pretty advanced phones in addition to the fact uh, that uh, – that, that they allow you to have all this privacy we've been talking about. Real quick, if you want to support my work and the, and the uh, my work and the stuff that we do here, uh, you can always help do that by starting your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. And no matter what you buy, if you start there, you will help support us. Today's item of the day is the UTG Ranger field bag. Same one I had yesterday, uh, but it's still on sale. This is one of the best kind of do-anything all-around really big bags I promise you a smaller framed adult human will fit in there, not comfortably, but they will. Not that I have any practical experience doing it. I do have a funny story about that, but that's for a different day. Um, it is just a really rugged, great bag. Uh, I found out because of my connections with the airsoft place down here because they fill my CO2 tanks for my, my keg system that uh, all the airsoft guys, all especially young kids that are going and doing these different games every week and need place for lots of gear and it's rugged, they use this. I've used it to carry T-shirts to trade shows. I must have had 200 pounds of T-shirts shoved into it at one time or another. Uh, it's just a great bag. And on sale for under 50 bucks, it is a hell of a value. So check that out. And, again, remember, you can always support us no matter what you buy if you do your shopping online starting at tspaz.com. Also consider becoming a member of the MSB. We get you guys so many discounts. Uh, you definitely, if you use them, it's going to pay for your membership right there in of itself. And with that, I'll sign off. I'm going to catch you tomorrow uh, with another interview show. Then I got something coming for you on Thursday. It'll probably be the most popular show of the week because people like fire and brimstone. And I'm literally bringing you fire and brimstone on Thursday. Expert cancel council show on Friday. Like I said, we're back to our regularly scheduled programming. And I'll catch you guys tomorrow with another episode. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house. American way a dollar down a dollar a month and you never have to pay there's a better way to do this let me show you a better way 